0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite podcast, the podcast that is only worth listening to. (laughs) Anyways, got to sell it big. My name is Perry Siddons, of course, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy uh, Lawset. Oh, I know so many Jeremy's. (laughs) I went through the list.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. You're staring right at my face, (laughs) man.
0: Yeah, your name is written right there. Well, when Drew introduces me, he usually lately has said Perry Walterson, so I was trying to come up with your middle name, too. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's private information.
0: uh... Jeremy J. Lawsett. That's always a safe bet, the J.
1: Sure, you can go with that.
0: Yeah, I think that's what Donald Trump, that's how he got elected, was the Donald J. Trump
1: sounds more official
0: <laughs> so how are you doing jeremy oh ah,
1: doing pretty good yeah okay just getting over a bit of a cold so if i sound a little bit odd or if i <clears throat> cough cough a little bit just like perry did there then it's clearing uh, my throat <laughs> yeah well i i got that tickle you know it, it's just mm-hmm. like that stupid tickle that doesn't go away Hmm. otherwise i'm doing great yeah
0: good good so what's the temperature like we're having a hot week here in saskatoon
1: mm, i think it's well it's supposed to be about 30 today i mm. don't know what the current temperature is uh my computer says 25 right now but it's not always oh yeah accurate Same here. um yeah I, we had some wicked storms yesterday though we had uh, three oh. sets of thund- thunderstorms come through um two about <laughs> well, one in the afternoon one around the evening and then and then one Probably about eleven o'clock, and that was no. got pretty pretty windy there for a while, and and uh, tons and tons of lightning. Hmm. But, uh, nope, we're...
0: I have that uh, Sask Alert app, and oh yeah, I honestly got alerts for every RM on the eastern side of the province last night. Oh, really? Thunderstorm wow. for the RM. Of, I got one for the arm of Hudson Bay, and including Hudson Bay and Reserve. You know, it was mm. like Tisdale. <laughs> I thought, oh, that must be a storm brewing over there.
1: (laughs) There was multiple storms brewing over Hmm. here. Uh, The the tricky part is uh, the 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 radar systems don't actually cover Hudson Bay. Oh, and so we're always kind of in the dark, and so they have a hard time, like you know, pinpointing where the storms are. And so sometimes Hmm. it's like it's storming outside. You'll check the weather app, right? And it's it's storming outside, and you look out, and it's just Blue skies, right? And you're like, oh boy, they're really off. Um,
0: <laughs> but but oh, they were they were of, correct. Kind of weird to storms. Yeah, like, it is. Why weird. don't they or they can't or they don't have radar for Hudson B?
1: It's we're probably not a priority because there's not a whole lot of civilization. out this way. <laughs> And so I, it kind of cuts off around Tisdale. Tisdale is kind of on the fringes, and then and then to the south, I don't know. It covers like Priestville, right? might get porcupine plane. Um, I don't think it quite gets up to there there. Hmm. So we're just kind of out they just kinda of guess for us for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh
0: well. Oh well. <clears throat> Life up in the boonies.
1: Yeah, yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess if there was ever nuclear disaster you would be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's gonna nuke Hudson Bay? You know, yeah. Uh, those those darn trees. We gotta nuke the trees, right? That's.
0: Well, last night I was reading about, well, just briefly about Uranium City. That's sure. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's way up north, and mm. it was probably almost as big as Hudson Bay at one time, and then they just shut everything down. Yeah, and it's kind of a wasteland.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's. Very few people up that way uh, anymore. Uh, but yeah, there used to be like a couple thousand people, 3,000 people, something like that. Yeah. I thought it used to be a, a hopping place. I talked to a lady that used to work up there and, uh, hmm. and she grew up there. But when one thing shut down, I mean, there's.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Well, it's interesting that they called Uranium City like. I wonder if they had hopes of it becoming a city, like if it was, uh, you know, going to be a huge place with lots of prosperity.
1: Well, it's basically the only real sizable northern community in Saskatchewan, you know, north of Larange
0: Yeah, I think there's only 70 now. <laughs>
1: yeah, it it's like a skeleton crew, probably just to make sure mm-hmm. that, I mean, there's probably still some you know, processed plant stuff that kind of has to be kept an eye on. Hmm. I think there's a conservation officers up there. They kind of cover a, a whole wide area up there.
0: Man, I want to check out Northern Saskatchewan. It seems like a really interesting place. Like mm-hmm. you have your mm-hmm. sand dunes and on mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Ath- Lake Athabasca, Athabasca, and yeah, yeah seems interesting. But we should move on okay. to the Apostles' Creed, Part Three. I will read the Apostles' Creed, and then we will proceed on from last week. We finished at Suffered. Did we get to Suffered? Yes, I think we did. We'll move uh, yes, on yeah, to... We definitely covered Suffered. Okay, we'll move on to under Pontius Pilate, but here we go.
1: Oh, we did talk about Pontius Pilate, did we not? Uh... I remember commenting that he was the only person mentioned by name other than Mary.
0: I really don't remember.
1: Oh, okay. well, we can recap.
0: Let me go back to my notes. Sorry, dear listeners. Come on, come on. Oh, you can always edit that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy August, by the way.
1: Yes. It's crazy. August the 1st. I know. it. We're eight months. We're in the eighth month of the year. That's wild.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: Days are getting shorter.
0: Oh, yeah, and you know what's cool about today on the church calendar? It's the day for the Maccabean martyrs.
1: Oh, interesting!
0: Yeah, Mac- okay. Mac- okay. I don't remember talking about Pontius Pilate. We that's okay if we talk about him again because there's some interesting things in this section. All right the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. So here we are uh, under Pontius Pilate. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And uh, I like what he says um, that with this inclusion of the person of Pilate in the creed, we remember that the, the, the gospel, the um, Christianity is not just a set of doctrinal truths or propositions, it's something that took place in history. Mm-hmm. Um, says that the apostles' creed is concerned with doctrine. The ancient catechism was meant to help believers get a clear outline of the teaching of scripture. There are some underlining doctrinal patterns in the creed. Pardon me. Belief in God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and belief in creation's goodness, its redemption, and its final glorification. Still, it's important to notice that the creed isn't a list of concepts and ideas. At the center of the creed is a story, or at least the summary of a story. We are meant to take our bearings not just from doctrine, but from history, from a sequence of events that occurred in a particular time and place. That's how one of history's most dubious characters, Pontius Pilate, finds his way into the Creed. He enters the Creed like a dog into a nice room, as Karl Barth hmm. once put it. <laughs> so it's a historical anchor, he says. So that um is interesting. Hmm. That's kind of up hmm. your alley as you uh because of your previous work study of apologetics. Hmm.
1: Hmm yeah i mean to to list him by name i mean pontius pilate it, it does well it's making a historical claim right so i mean christianity has has always claimed to be a historical religion uh, or rather a religion grounded in history um can't escape that and so the i mean Pilate would have been a fairly notable figure. We have actually a decent amount of mm. information about him. He was pretty ruthless. He reigned in Judea uh, for, I think it was 20 years or over 20 years, whereas most mm. um, most individuals, I don't want to say governors, but, but in his position, I mean, spent an average of like three to six years um, in any given place, but he, he, he remained there for quite some time. Um, so again, he would have been very well known to everybody in that area. And even afterwards, right, his reputation would have, well, it was cemented as, uh, not, not for the laws that he instituted, not for you know various other deeds that he did. And he did a lot of heinous things, right? I mean, he, he was directly responsible for the, um, the crucifixion of hundreds and hundreds of individuals um including some just randomly right he there was uh, one occasion prior to the time of christ where he did not want there to be any kind of rabble rousing in jerusalem and so he just randomly uh, selected dozens of jewish people coming in for the passover who had nothing to do with anything and he just mm-hmm. crucified them on all the roads coming in and out of jerusalem as a warning to be like hey you guys got to behave yourselves Right, so not a nice guy, but he's not remembered for those kinds of things, right? He's remembered for, you know, rubber stamping the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Yeah, Even though yeah. he himself didn't really want to crucify Jesus, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's something that he did. And so that's what he's known mm. for. And that's, mm. of course, you know, part of the, the creed's claim, right? It happened under his, his watch. Right and 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 you know uh, I think that I if it's but well, anyways there's a number of early Christians that you know that say he was directly responsible for it because I mean it wouldn't have happened without his approval so yeah he was responsible for it in that
0: mm. sense yeah as you're talking about that horrible injustice of mm-hmm. crucifying innocent Jews on their way to Jerusalem that reminds me of that of the doctrine or the idea or whatever, the Pax Romana, the, the peace of mm. Rome that was, you know, they were quite proud of having widespread peace, but it came at quite the cost. <laughs> and I think yeah. there's an interesting contrast yeah. here between the peace of Rome and the peace of Christ. Not that it's, it's mm. um, I'm not saying that this is what the creed is doing, but that is an interesting contrast. Between the two, oh, for the, two sure. the two rulers, the ruler of the kingdom of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of God. Like Pilate, I think, mm. among many other figures in the Gospel of John, for instance, I think they are they act as puppets or almost like avatars of the mm. of demonic influence, demonic power. So kind of an interesting mm-hmm. uh contrast there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not sure
0: if you. I thought maybe you had something to say about that, but um,
1: well, no. I mean, I I I do think that the uh, the, the parallel there is interesting. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't even say parallel, maybe, but uh, the contrast uh, between Pilate and Jesus. I mean, it's very stark. Yeah. Right. Uh, Pilate, Pilate was was given his authority, but uh, as with most Romans, it was based on favor and. You know, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine and and you know, he he had to rule or he had to maintain his rule, uh
0: hmm.
1: in specific ways. So I mean hence the the random crucifixion of people, because if there was an uprising under his watch, right, he would be punished for it. Hmm. And you know, he was protecting his own self-interest, whereas Jesus, right, I mean, he gave up, you know so to speak his self-interest yeah that's yeah. not the right the word it's quite the right word um but but you know he he emptied mm. himself right he humbled himself mm-hmm. to the cross um i mean this is again unthinkable stuff to Pilate, and this is and you see it even in 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 the trial before Pilate, right jesus did not speak up in his defense Pilate would have put you know who knows how many people on trial over the course of his reign right and every one of them would have pled a case before him, right? You do not want to be crucified. You're going to plead your case. Jesus didn't. That stands out. Right? And this is why Pilate's like, well, what's going on here, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, hmm. there's a really stark contrast between um, Pilate and Jesus, between the, the religious leaders, the, the Jewish religious leaders and Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus sets up his kingdom in a wholly different way than mm-hmm. any human institution, um, and and I think that again gives credibility to the truthfulness of its message, right? Um, hmm. If this was just the work of some man, this this is pretty foolish, right? This is this goes completely against our human nature. Um, but
0: yeah, hmm. yeah, um, yeah. It's interesting to think about the fact that. Pilate was, I guess you could say he was energized by demonic influence directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. uh, but yet God used this person for His purposes. This is by Jesus. Jesus was essentially submitting to the power, the the, the demonic powers to defeat them. Very subversive. By submitting himself to this worldly power and a fascinating, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of fascinating to think about how that might be a way for us to think about what it means for Christians in relationship to worldly power, political power.
1: Hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's
0: that's that's kind of a <clears throat> something we had to wrestle with during that uh, dark period for a few years <laughs> during the, the, the pandemic. <laughs> yes. Was yeah. uh, what is our relationship to the government and the political powers, mm-hmm. and really wrestling, say, with Paul's uh, command of submitting to the government, submitting mm-hmm. to the to the the empire, essentially, mm-hmm. and he doesn't give any. There's no qualification there. That's what I really found difficult with that is that uh, submit to the, I think Peter says that submit to the, to the powers. And, oh, it's, it's hard not to qualify it because we always say, well, unless they go against God's word, but Jesus never stood up for for himself and said, but God's word says don't uh don't crucify an innocent person or whatever. <laughs> like he kinda just kept his mouth shut. Obviously for different reasons. I guess we could parse that out differently. Yeah. So as I'm as I'm thinking through that, we could parse it out differently. It wasn't like Jesus was this prophet who was merely a prophet being crucified and we follow his example. He was definitely for the salvation of the world. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's a unique circumstance for sure there. Um, but nonetheless, like you say, Paul and Peter both gave pretty clear instructions for us to, you know, listen to the authorities to submit to them. Um, and Paul specifically wrote that, I, I believe it was under the reign of Nero, right. in, in Romans. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, not a good guy. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, so, so those words are, they're very difficult. Um, for for many people, including myself, to really not only grasp but to obey, um, and yet uh, this is again what the Word of God says. So,
0: yeah, yeah, because there's the problem always been... isn't
1: with the the problem isn't with the Bible. The problem is with me and how <laughs> and how I uh, understand and obey it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a diff- you have problems with that, don't you?
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, you know me. <laughs> My rebellious streak. (laughs) Uh,
0: As he keeps going, he says that because Jesus himself is at the center. uh, Oh, this is what he's saying is that the baptismal confession centers on a name, the name of Jesus. And in case we start to think that Jesus Christ is a theoretical concept, the creed adds a second name. Jesus, the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate, he's there to remind us that God has acted at a particular moment in human history the salvation of the world can be dated because he goes on and a little bit later because Jesus himself is at the center. The continuous reading of the four gospels is the central spiritual discipline of the Christian life. The story of Jesus is read whenever believers assemble. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's good to remember. And in my church, we, we, not every Sunday for the most part we read the gospel one from the God one of the gospels not that I uh, I didn't preach from it this last Sunday it's hard to preach from every single passage sometimes but that that um yeah what what do you think about that keeping the gospels at the center
1: I I think that's uh I mean well fundamental for Christians to the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation of His victory, not only over uh, sin and Satan and death, but also over, I think, you know, human institution, human rule, uh, by which Pilate, of course, was uh, a figurehead of. Um, and of course, Pilate worked. I mean, he ruled under the Roman Empire, which, again, I mean, I, I don't think we have a clear parallel to that anymore. Right. we have, you know, living in Canada, Canada is nothing like the Roman empire was right. The Roman empire was the world, you know, largely, um, to his, for sure it's residents. I'm not saying it encompassed the entire world, but encompassed pretty much the known world to them at the time. Um, and it was a ruthless beast of, of an empire, Mm. um, in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And so, and yet, you know, the proclamation of the gospel in those early days is, Hey, Jesus, you know, Jesus rules over them, right? Like they submit mm. to him, right? Or mm. ultimately will, right? Every knee shall bow. Uh, and, you know, that, that's that's amazing news, right? So when Paul writes, um, or, or rather quotes from Psalm 110, we're going to get to that, I'm sure today, um, That that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will reign until all his enemies are his, you know, footstool, right? That's good news to, to those people living under the Roman empire, you know, in the first century, second century, right. That's very good news. Right. And so we can take comfort in that as well today. Um, I think, although again, we don't live under the tyranny, you know, here in Canada that certainly they did, uh, there's, there are countless Christians in the world today that do live under similar tyranny, um, under similarly, or, uh, under similar, beastly rulers and yet they have also been defeated right ultimately Mm -hmm. um and and so that should be good news right again and the gospels need to you know to to circle back you know be at the forefront um right that that is our hope right is the victory of jesus that's and that's what a gospel was right so gospel isn't an inherently christian term um right Mm -hmm. under the roman empire they would send out you know these people who would proclaim their gospel the gospel of you know uh the the caesar's victory over such and such an enemy right that was a gospel and and so christians use this term right and instead of having it applied to you know whatever caesar was in power right they're using it as jesus right a lot of the, the titles that we read in the gospels in the new testament in general that, uh, that are attributed to Jesus, King of Kings, such you know terms like that, they were used to describe the Caesars, right? Prince of Peace, well, that was Caesar Augustus because he's mm. the one that instituted Pax Romana, um, mm. right? And, and all the, you know, Son of God, well, that was a common one for the Caesars, right? And so mm-hmm. for Christians to take those titles and to, you know, slap them onto Jesus and attribute those to Jesus, I was actually blasphemous to the Romans. Hmm. Uh, And so it's just really interesting how, how the gospel is deeply subversive in that sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's something really worth thinking about it. The, the subversiveness of Jesus and his ministry and, and what that means for us as Christians. But the funny thing for me is because Subversiveness is kind of a way of being in relationship to the the world in an indirect way. Do we talk about this in a direct way or do we try to show this in an indirect way? Hmm. Because that's, I find that ironic. Uh, I don't know, does that make sense? What I'm saying, (laughs)
1: yeah, I, I think a little bit, yeah.
0: Um, so. I think uh, say for instance I mean you get you get different angles of the ministry of Jesus from the gospels and that's why it's important to read all of them to let all of them have their own voice I know that a lot of the of scholarship in the last I don't know 100 years or so they've wanted to read the gospels in parallel to to let q uh, to let you know oh here's this verse in Matthew here's this verse in Luke here's this ver- verse in, in in Luke and uh, and what, what's the message here what, what's the what's the the source that they're using here what was the original source saying mm-hmm. and for the sake of the church um, we I really think it's important that you let Matthew say what he's saying. You let Mark say what he's saying. You let Luke say what he's saying. You let John say what he's saying because they all have this wonderful, unique voice. Mm-hmm. So say for instance in Mark, which we think is the first one written, uh, not, that the, not that that matters for what I'm saying, but uh, with Mark, when he talks about the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and then he goes out and he heals people and he casts out demons. Um, there's definitely a this sense of the kingdom of god is coming in and is defeating the kingdom of of satan Mm -hmm. and uh i mean you get a sense of that in the other ones definitely definitely in john i would say but like say in matthew he really has a sense of judgment and uh and the kingdom of god is coming upon you in judgment and so, just seeing those different aspects, and uh oh, I was gonna say this is going back to what you were talking about with the good news because that even comes up in 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 um in the old testament i did I did a talk recently on Nahum, and the it's three chapters, but it's just like, oh my goodness, it's just judgment judgment, judgment, it's not good news. <laughs> For the mm-hmm. nation of Assyria. God's judgment is coming upon you. But he, there's one verse at the end of Nahum chapter 1 and it says behold, it's it's kind of that it's quoted from Isaiah. Behold the feet of him who brings good news. Mm-hmm. It's not a direct quotation from Isaiah but definitely an echo there. Uh, good news for, for Judah and now you can uh, observe your feasts now. So anyways, all I'm saying is that This is really interesting. The fact that what is the good news here? Assyria is being defeated Mm. for, and it's for your salvation. Essentially it's for you to be able to worship. Maybe Mm -hmm. I talked about this already last week. I remember talking to somebody about this recently, but um, the fact that this larger nation is being defeated, that's good news. And that's transferred over, I think, or or that's picked up by the New Testament writers to say this These nations and the nations that and what's beyond behind the nations, as I've been talking about, they have been defeated. That's the good news, so that you can worship. So it's fascinating to me that 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 idea of good news, gospel I don't know what the Hebrew word is, but definitely the Greek Old Testament would use the word euangelion, the Greek word for good news. Um, it's fascinating that it's used there, it's not purely a Roman concept, but it's definitely there as a Roman concept, and the New Testament writers, I think, are mm-hmm. are um, subverting that, kind of going against the p- taking a term, taking a term from their culture, using it to to uh, to fight against in this way. Uh, I don't like the word "fight" because that's not what subversive is. It's um, to um, to bring down. <laughs> The, the, the stronger nation in, uh, in this kind of indirect way. So uh, so w- with the gospels, when you see the life of Jesus, he says, pay your taxes. <laughs> and then he says, uh, and then he, he goes, heal somebody. Hmm. Um, and he says, you know, if you want to serve me, serve the people on the margins, hmm. uh, serve the people that society has left behind. And uh, and there's all sorts of ways to think about how we can do that today Mm -hmm. uh, in going against the flow of our political machine, because the political machine says, hate your neighbor, essentially. Um,
1: Look after your own interests.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all about power and doing whatever it takes to get power, even in our own Uh, democratic society it's never about upholding what you believe it's really about doing what going with the flow but we but we say no don't give up on your beliefs keep going even and 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 that's where the suffering might come in Mm. is don't give up on your beliefs you uh, keep going keep doing what the gospel is saying of you keep, you know, keep following in the footsteps of Jesus. Um, but then as he keeps going in this chapter, this is might be the last thing. I'll, well, it is the last thing I'll say about this chapter on Pontius Pilate is. He says it is a, it is as if each new believer becomes another character in the gospel story. Each one has a part to play. Jesus still lives and his story still continues in the lives of his followers. The church calendar, too, is just an elaborate way of remembering and repeating Jesus' story every uh, year after year. We read the Gospels not only with our minds, but also with our lives. So, oh, this is what he says. When we serve the marginalized, the poor and the oppressed, we're not just following a general principle of compassion, but are giving a fresh dramatic performance of the script of Jesus' life. Yeah, I just am impressed with how he's <laughs> talking about this claw or this yeah. this this line that he's kind of saying he's kind of going beyond and and making it more positive to say that um, each person has a part to play. Uh, if mm-hmm. if if Pilot is included in here, if Pilot's life is included. Then even more so, the life of the believer is included in this uh, story of God. So quite, uh, quite uh, creative and wonderful to think about. And I think that's the neat thing about remembering the, the saints on the church calendar. Like I just said, today is the Maccabean martyrs, but um, whatever, any any old saint, it you know reminds us of of the. Of the normal people who've gone on before us, who followed in the footsteps of Jesus, and we too can go forward in the same grace of God in living our lives. So, kind of interesting. Any thoughts on that?
1: No, not really.
0: Uh, Okay. He was crucified. Do we have anything to say about that? It was public it was disgraceful it made a deep impression on his early followers
1: Mm -hmm. it was uh uh, according to historians it's probably the the best attested fact in all of ancient history that jesus was crucified Hmm. Uh, he was killed so i mean what not that you run into a whole lot probably in your day to day life, but certainly on the internet you can kind of run into them. These Jesus mythicists who 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 claim mm-hmm. that Jesus was nothing more than, you know, against some mythological being, some someone who didn't really exist in real life. <clears throat> and that's just mm-hmm. not a watch. And you know, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of non Christian uh, um historians. Or scholars that will tell you that that's just that's ridiculous i mean if you want a good example of that uh, bart Ehrman, um the, the mm-hmm. famous agnostic or atheist new testament scholar um he minces nowhere uh like he, he just has no time of day for these kind of people who deny hmm. that jesus was a historical Whoa. figure and that <laughs> he was crucified he just he blasts them it's it's huh. uh, yeah he, he basically says listen if you're going to make those claims then you're an idiot right? Like, you you know nothing. um, And you don't have any kind of grounds to make any kind of historical claims at that Because, Hmm. you know, that is, again, probably the best attested fact in all of ancient history. There is, um, you know, just in terms of just referencing the life of Jesus, but most of them do include, or many of them include, mentions of his crucifixion. Uh, Within about 150 years after Jesus's death, so, you know, just prior to about 200 AD uh there's something like 41 ancient sources that mention Jesus and again many of them his mm. death um mm. in contrast mm-hmm. to, uh, to to Tiberius Caesar who was you know emperor at the time of Jesus Jesus's death right you have nine nine sources or 10 sources or something mm. like that right so you have four times as many sources mentioning Jesus as you do caesar right hmm. who is again to the roman empire right he is a god right so i, I mean you might be like okay but how many of those are christian sources and even if you take mm-hmm. out all christian sources and you just go with what i'm going to call secular sources or pagan sources you have the equal amounts you have nine apiece, hmm. right so again which is just absolutely stunning like it, it's amazing Jesus was a historical person, right? There is no denying that. And he was crucified. And the creed is saying, hey, it happened under Pontius Pilate. So it's giving you a very narrow window as to when that happened.
0: Mm. It matches up mm-hmm. exactly
1: with what, you know, Scripture says, exactly with mm. what, you know, these ancient writers said, right? Again, it's, it's grounded in history. Um, yeah, he was crucified, right? He died mm. on on that cross. As the creed says, and then he was buried, and all that language beckons us back to you know First Corinthians fifteen. This is where Paul, mm. in verses three through five or so, um, it, it talks about how Jesus was crucified according to the scriptures. He was he was buried, and then he rose again according to the scriptures. Right, he, he's making it very clear. And most New Testament scholars say Paul is quoting from. An early church creed so something that predates this by you know many 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 years something that was probably circulating within six to six months to three years after jesus's death so paul would have received this upon his crucifixion right um mm-hmm. this was the message of the early church like the earliest church was proclaiming mm-hmm. jesus was crucified he died he was buried and then he rose again it's exactly mm-hmm. what this creed is saying right that message has not changed whatsoever mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, um, at the beginning of First Corinthians, Paul says, "I preach Christ crucified." Mm-hmm. That's really he says. That's the only message I preach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, shame on me, essentially, is what he says if I don't preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. because it's the gospel. It's 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 the the way of salvation. I think is what he really is saying, and. uh it's foolishness to Greek and stumbling mm-hmm. block to Jews. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that historians have generally accepted that this Jesus of Nazareth person was crucified. And uh, what do you think of uh, this uh, Shroud of Turin is what is it's called, the... the, the uh, thing that was over his face when he was in the the tomb
1: (laughs) right the supposed burial yeah yeah um yeah so i've actually done a a fairly extensive extensive research on that um just just as Mm -hmm, a hobby mm -hmm. um and i'm convinced that it's it's legit um now i'm not i'm not going to include that in any gospel presentation i'm not preaching from it on sunday mornings (laughs) anything like that right i'm not going to hold to it unswervingly if it was proven to be false it's not going to wreck my faith whatsoever Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but you know i I have become convinced that yeah i think it's legitimately the burial cloth of jesus there are just some things about it that are inexplicably you know you just can't explain them any other way right and maybe one day they Mm -hmm. will be able to explain it (laughs) <laughs> but as of right now, there is absolutely, there is just no natural explanation for it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, so like what, if you, if you oh, can off the top of your head,
1: right? So they, uh, what's a good way to start this? So, I mean, there was a famous study, I think it was in the sixties or seventies or something like that, where they actually took, um, I mean, it was just, they spent thousands there were hundreds at least uh, if not thousands of man hours investigating this uh they took samples from a corner of the cloth and um mm. uh, and and tested it at, at i think three different um uh three different uh, locations around the world to verify its age and they concluded that it was it was a medieval forgery right like that it came from I don't know if it was the 12th century or something like mm-hmm. that it, you know that it was it, it was it, mm. it was a it was a forged thing. It, it certainly wasn't as old as, as the first century, All right, and that kind of shut down discussion. But but there was um, there was pushback on that because that shroud had very famously been in a monastery that had a fire. Part of the the the, the shroud had been burned, and so it was repaired mm. by I believe mm. nuns, um, and it just so happened that they selected for their sample uh, from that corner. Mm -hmm. um and and you can tell by pictures if you really zoom in on on, on pictures and they and they took tons of pictures that Hmm. it's it's actually woven in a different pattern than the rest of the shroud um hence the the repair uh actually one of the the non-christian actually vehemently atheistic uh researchers on that team um became convinced that that later on in life that they needed to test it again because he was not convinced that they tested from the right corner and he remained an atheist um but he <laughs> until he died he had cancer he died a few years ago but he he was vehemently um uh, advocating to get it tested again they never did get to test it again anyways there's all sorts of other evidence there's there's all sorts of written and and uh oral record that brings it way back to the first century there was a swiss criminologist that did tests on it uh he concluded that there was pollen a world-renowned swiss criminologist and, and there was pollen uh, on the shroud that only came from the area around jerusalem in the time of the spring so something like april uh there was flecks of limestone <laughs> on the shroud that hmm. only uh, is inherent to israel like you know it, it's it's very hmm. you know they, they can tell um hmm you know, the, the image on the shroud itself is not painted. It is not the, the, it's like, what's the best way of explaining it? It's almost like radiation burns on fractions of a millimeter deep into this shroud. There's no way that any medieval individual could have come up with anything to put that into there. Hmm. Uh, It's, I mean, the blood, they've tested the blood, the blood is, is human male. Um, I, th- I think it was like, O negative or something like that. you know, they even they even had the blood type. Um, if if wow. you take a picture of it, and you and you take the negatives of those images, you come up with a far more clear picture. Again, medieval minds could have never conceived of anything like that because uh, it's, it's quite faint if you look at a picture of the shroud it's, it's very faint you can barely make out the the figure on pictures but if you look at negatives of those pictures it's just like you know eye popping uh, the details that <laughs> come out of there uh it was obviously a crucified man uh like there's there's hundreds of of lash marks on his back and front you know all the way down to his legs which is consistent with crucifixion uh, his wait
0: how long is the shroud I thought it was only the face
1: no no so there is a face cloth as well that, uh, uh claimed to be Jesus. like so they would have done a face cloth and then they would have done the shroud over top and so the shroud goes it's a very long piece of something like 16 feet or 14 feet or something long hmm. and so what they would do is, is they wrapped you lengthwise so it wasn't like a mummy where they wrapped you you know round and round, mm-hmm. and round. it was mm-hmm. front to back and so you have an image of the back, and an image of the front. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, even, even the manner in which the hands are, you know, the, th- the thumbs are kind of folded in. And that happens when, you, when you, you put a nail in through the wrists, you crush the ulnar nerve, and, which controls your thumb. And it just kind of, your, your thumbs go wow. like this. And that, wow. again, that was not known in the medieval periods. Right. Oh. So again, you're not you're not conjuring this up. There's, I think, a painting from mm. the fourth century that depicts uh, Jesus in a shroud and his thumbs are like that. Right. And so and it actually that picture, if you zoom in on it, it, it actually has the same uh, weave pattern on the shroud in the picture of the, in the fourth century. Um, so, again, the shroud was was known, I think, in the fourth mm. century. But and there's other things. There's, there's plenty of other things. Uh, there's lots of good books and lectures on 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 the on the subject. And, hmm. uh, yeah. Anyway. Wow. That I think, is I think it's authentic. Yeah, wow. I think it's authentic, but uh, <laughs> again, really I'm not cool. going to.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, isn't
1: it? It's it, it's awesome. Well, because and, because uh, I
0: didn't know it was the full body. I've only seen pictures of the face. Of the
1: face. Yeah. On you. You. Oh, you, if you go on YouTube, you can find full pictures. You can uh, you can actually buy poster, not posters, but like uh, uh, those uh, canvas pictures. You can find buy canvas pictures of the whole body, um, you know, imprinted on there. But uh, hmm. yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. They they know the rough height of the person. I don't know if it's like 5'8 or something hmm. like that. I, I can't remember all these details. It was a few years ago.
0: So where did but they find know. it? Do you know where they found it?
1: <clears throat> well, Turin, Italy, is is where it was held for many years um mm. i believe the vatican has it now but um Those but i mean they, they, yeah exactly well there's there's history of it you know of course being around in in israel and then kind of moving uh throughout the roman empire at different points you know being saved from destruction and stuff there's oral history mm. um mm. of of uh, some king i can't remember which king of one of the surrounding nations sending um he 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 had a disease or something like that and he was trying to get a hold of jesus but jesus had been crucified so they sent up this uh burial cloth and he touched the burial cloth and was healed so there's Mm -hmm. there's i don't want to say legends but there's you know stories about that i don't know how late they developed or if they're authentic i I, i'm not really sure uh, yeah with that aspect but
0: yeah i've been uh, reading a book on that subject (laughs) oh interesting (laughs) that calls of the dead book
1: Oh yes. Yes. That one. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause he, he mentions how Monica Constantine's mother went on mm-hmm. quite a <laughs> raid, so to speak in Jerusalem, looking for relics of the crucifixion mm-hmm. and other relics, but you know, they think they found wood from the, or they think they found the cross and so they would mm-hmm. be selling wood from the cross. They think they found the crown, uh, the crown of thorns. That might right. be when they found the shroud. I don't know, or the 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 burial burial cloths. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I'm kind of skeptical of some of those things because I don't know who, unless people quickly f- took them and and protected them right away because they knew that they were part of the mythology of. And I'm using that word loosely. I'm using that yeah. word historically um, to uh, to protect the. The, the mythology of, of this <laughs> fellow from Nazareth. Uh, that's why I'm skeptical, because why would the crown of thorns be um, still uh, put together? Why would it still be in one piece? Yeah, the, the Those crown kind of thorns things.
1: things doesn't really convince me necessarily because I don't think he was buried with the crown. Um, that would have been a mockery, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I, I don't think that Joseph i'm not sure if them. they
0: think he would was
1: okay I,
0: I, i'm just i they, just don't i don't know where they found it
1: yeah well i mean there is probably no shortage of uh people trying to rip off other people you well know, that's again, that's the,
0: it yeah the piece
1: of the cross that the burial cloth to me is i think you have stronger evidence for because it was it was found i mean the gospel right. mentioned that it that yeah. was still in the tomb well yeah. who would have taken it from the tomb the disciples right um it, you know, I mean, it's evidence of Jesus's resurrection. They can't figure out what in the world happened to him until he appears to them, right? I, I think that, I think there's good reason to believe that it's it's legit. But as always, be your own hmm. research. Um,
0: this something this. I'm not saying uh, this is a gotcha. This is a question. Um. Why wouldn't the gospel writers? I mean, you can't get in the minds of the gospel writers, but when they have mentioned something like that? That that this weird photographic kind of thing happened on these cloths because that wouldn't have ever happened with other
1: no certainly cloths. not I don't know how important that was to them right it was more important for them True. to to preach the the message of the risen Christ you know and hmm. you know perhaps was was you know evidence of it but also when you're writing a gospel we're writing any kind of document right something like the gospel of Mark would have cost the equivalent of about five thousand dollars today. Hmm. Um, $6,000, something like that, it, w- it would have been very expensive to write and copy. Right. So you're trying to keep what's very necessary into that into that story, right in, into your account. Um, you know, mentioning the burial cloth in passing might be like a way of being like, listen, you know, while they're preaching, it's like, hey, we still have that thing, right? We don't know. Hmm. Um, but they're not going to go on this big exposition about you know, and we unfolded the cloth and there upon, you know, wasn't really important to them, right? It, that's that's not where their faith hinges. We have a very different mindset, mentality, worldview today where we would like that evidence.
0: But yeah. But that just
1: was not important to them. Yeah. In the same way that it is to us, maybe.
0: <laughs> hmm. but, wow. Uh, that is very fascinating. Going to have to look that up later.
1: Yeah yeah for sure
0: so uh the next line he died and was buried and uh of course that's a major theme in romans 5 that uh jesus died and was buried Mm -hmm. yeah and the interesting thing about that is he wasn't buried in the ground though he was put in a well, I guess there's pictures of him. You know, it's like a cave, and he's yeah. laying. It's this nice, beautiful cave, and he's laying on a nice little kind of bed. <laughs>
1: right. So, so that's kind of interesting. It, well, I mean, that, and that was kind of. I mean, you you can find all sorts of examples in
0: in, uh, in the rich man's yeah uh, right uh, tomb. I suppose Joseph of
1: Arimathea, right, where no nobody had laid. It was undefined. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. It was, yeah. It was, uh, it was pure um and I think again there's there's theological significance to that Hmm. for sure um and yeah yeah so those tombs would have been kind of in the ground a little bit right not deep underground but under the ground and yeah they they did have on on three of the sides they had places where the body would could lay so you could put multiple bodies in there Hmm. and after a year you would come collect the bones Put them in a in a box, an ossuary, hmm. and then there was little shelves that you would put the hmm. bones uh, into. Them. So it was kind of meant for the family, right? Ah, uh, you had yes. a bunch of, of those hmm. slots. So that that's generally how those um, burial chambers kind of worked. Hmm.
0: Yeah, hmm. yeah, and it would have been easy for Joseph to just bury him in Jerusalem. I'm sure they didn't take people back to their hometown
1: generally crucif crucified victims too were just thrown into a, a giant pit right right oh. I, I mean they were cursed especially to jewish people right right uh the one who was hanging on a tree is cursed right deuteronomy 21 um and so you didn't want anything to do with it well obviously you know with with jesus his followers did not quite buy into that and so hmm. you know joseph uh he, and, and Joseph's really notable because he goes up to Pontius Pilate and asks for his body, right? Like, so if Pilate knows that Joseph is one of his followers, he could have him crucified as well, mm. right? Because the charges uh, to Pilate were, hey, Jesus is trying to lead, lead a rebellion. He's claiming to be king, right? I mean, there's – people have been crucified for a lot less than following, you know? <laughs> and mm. and, and, and yeah. so Joseph's yeah. being pretty – He's being pretty mm. bold here in asking uh, Pilate for the body. Pilate, you know, releases it to him, probably because he didn't really, he wasn't really convinced that Jesus was guilty in the first place. Mm. Um, mm. But he just did it to appease the the people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and of course we know the the story, right? Joseph, they, they have to quickly wrap him up. They have to do it before dark, before the Sabbath begins, because otherwise they're going to become impure, um, mm. ritually impure. And Mm -hmm. so this is why the ladies, the women have to go back to the tomb after the Sabbath to finish Mm. anointing his body, right? Mm. That was because they didn't have time to do it before. Right. So they would have just hastily kind of, Mm. you know, cleaned him up, put him in there. And, uh, and so they have to go back and anoint the body to cover up the sense that the the sentence decay of death. Mm. Right. And it was kind of an act of, of, of love. Right. I mean, there's this, this anointing that happens. and, and Joseph's tomb, again, he's a prominent figure, right? he's part of the Sanhedrin, uh, right? It, it, people would have known where his tomb was. And and again, this has been brought up many times by many people, you know, if the Jews truly believed, the Jewish religious leaders truly believed Jesus was still dead, they could have just went to the tomb where they had guards stationed, right? And been like, hey, look, his body's still in here, you dummies, right? And they could have just completely, you know, squashed the, the, the rumors, you know, even if, you know, this, this didn't get proclaimed until 40 days, 60 days after the death of Jesus, they could have still marched over there. His body still would have been there and it probably would have been recognizable enough still Mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, this, this was that guy. So shut up. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But they never did that. Right. Mark or Matthew says that they just paid off the guards to be like, "Hey, the Disciples stole the body." Right They're admitting the body's gone. Right. Well, That's
0: tyrants. Come up tyrants with. don't want to face up to the truth. Oh no! Not it's at easier all. to create the narrative <laughs> than mm-hmm. to fall in line with <laughs> reality. Just like Pilate, it's easier. Just to... like Pilate, it's easier to give in to the mob than actually standing up for the truth yeah it's never it's never changed (laughs) it's true yeah um he has this interesting line in this chapter he's in this paragraph on paul's theme of union with christ uh it was especially important in later christian teaching about jesus death According to Paul Jesus has shared all that is ours so that we may share all that is his. He shares our poverty and we share his riches. He stands under the curse that is rightly ours and we stand under the blessing that is rightly his. By uniting himself with us he is united completely with our sin and we are identified with his righteousness. The idea here is not so much substitution as mutual participation. Oh pardon me, the idea here is not so much substitution as mutual participation. God and humanity are perfectly united in the person of Jesus so that each partakes of all that belongs to the other. I've learned that that's a much more Eastern mindset. Hmm. uh, That that the the incarnation and the crucifixion and the death of Jesus, it's really about participation. Jesus is participating in the life of humanity so that we can participate in the life of divinity. Right, because it was goes that, back uh, to that
1: partakers of the divine glory. Right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So Next I'm glad he that he, I'm glad that he points that out. That it's not, it's the idea for Paul, anyways. And these verses he includes is not merely about when when he talks about union with Christ. It's not just about substitution or our representative. It's really about being able to actively be involved in in this divine work and. He traces mm-hmm. his back to Irenaeus, uh, who was uh, from the second century, who says that uh, he did not reject human nature, exalt himself above it, but he became an infant among infants. He sanctified infants, becoming a child among children. He sanctivo- sanctified those having this age, becoming a young adult among young adults. He was an example for young adults and sanctified them to the Lord. Lastly, he came even to death so that he might be the firstborn from the dead, himself holding primacy in all things, Colossians, the author of life prior to all and going before all. And then so that's a quote from Irenaeus. Oh, no. Is that a quote from Irenaeus? Getting confused here. Maybe he's just paraphrasing. Anyways, then Myers goes on and says, the son of God heals our nature by joining it to himself. Human nature is joined by this union. Mortality joins hands with immortality the grave becomes the beginning of life. So I love thinking about that, that um, that all of the life of Jesus is to redeem and sanctify the whole human existence so that we can participate in it all. So that the incarnation is is about our birth too. You know, we, we actually participate in that too. I, I love that language. I've been thinking about that for years, that, that language of participation, but it's been, be, it's been becoming more clear to me because I've, I scratched my head for a while about, okay, the incarnation, the incarnation, uh, it has to be, it, 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 I don't know. I can't remember what my, I guess it, it stemmed from in one of the offices, in one of the services in the, in the prayer book, it's called the litany, the great litany. And in there, there's a line that says, by thy holy incarnation, and and then it goes on it's kind of like the beginning of the life of Jesus by thy incarnation by thy baptism t- temptation good lord deliver us and i thought what no it's by the cross <laughs> how are we delivered by the incarnation so that's really what got me thinking about mm. the incarnation and and so I was able to, just this past Christmas, I kind of was able to work through some of those ideas and sermons and think about the fact that Jesus came to earth to live so that we can live. And that, and that includes his incarnation. It's interesting, though, that we never hear anything about his life. Mm. Um, but I also think that's significant because I think... They don't really, I mean, there's that incident when he's at the temple when he's 12, Mm -hmm. but we don't get any of that until really his ministry. And I think that is significant because I think the authors are saying that baptism is really the beginning of the new life in Jesus. Like Jesus is inaugurating new life at his baptism. So we don't need, like it's a theological reason that they don't really talk about his early life. That's my theory. <laughs> I haven't, mm. I have not done any reading or research into that, but that's just <laughs> one way that I've dealt with it in my mind. <laughs> mm. But um, anything else on dead and buried? Yeah,
1: Since we should wrap up soon. Mm-hmm.
0: He descended into Hell.
1: Oh, are we going to tackle this one today?
0: <clears throat> um, this is an interesting line. He says Jesus is, descends into hell because that is where we have fallen. Good enough for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just leave it there. Oh man, there's there's all sorts. Oh
0: yeah. Well, we've done an episode this, on it. Uh, this. But go oh, ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I was gonna say i was going to say that you know there's i don't know if hell is quite the right language to use there that's mm-hmm. going to be my my part where i'm going to stick stick with it i mean i know you i you i think you mentioned oh if it was last week you know the the newer version say descended to the dead um uh, in the east it's uh descended to hades i believe mm-hmm. is, is the language they use mm-hmm. um i find that. so in scripture hell hell is where death and hades get thrown into right um it's the place of eternal punishment uh, everlasting punishment i don't think jesus descended to hell I, and this is again this is just where my particularities with the word hell are gonna be mm. um i think descended into hades which is where the place mm. of the dead were i think mm. that's more accurate probably mm. mm-hmm. uh, and and you know for the longest time I'm not going to lie. I was quite resistant to the idea of Jesus going to hell or not to hell, um, going to Hades. Hmm. Uh, It just was uncomfortable idea, I guess, maybe to my evangelical mind. Definitely. Definitely. Um, And uh, you know, there's, it's not like there's a great deal of scripture that deals with this. I mean, in passing there's, I I think like five, five verses or, or so. Uh, six if you include one of the psalms uh, that kind of mention this um but again there's not like a great fleshed out theology kind of like you have in the incarnation or or the the resurrection in the new testament right like it's not expounded upon nearly as much so um but i i you know i have become convinced that yes you know he certainly i mean went to Sheol, Hades, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, he gives uh, the one parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, there's the kind of the two compartments, right? There's kind of this Abraham's bosom and, and whatever. And you, you don't have to take that literally, but um, mm. but that was the Jewish idea, concept of, of Sheol. The righteous were kind of in one place, one chasm. And everybody else was kind of in this other chasm. And it wasn't a pleasant place either way. But this is this is kind of where people were. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I, you know, and you would you would understand this, you would have far more information on this than I would. Um, but uh, the idea is that Jesus descended, you know, he preached his victory and declared his victory. And, and to who? I mean, I, that's a hotly debated topic. Um, yeah, but that yeah. he, you know, he led the captives out, you know, I know mm. that there's, you know, certain specifically in the East, that's what they would proclaim, right? That he, he led the captives out pointing to Colossians and, and, and other or pastors. He led,
0: he led captivity. He led captivity captive.
1: Yes. Yeah. I guess that's more of the language, but, but yeah, I mean, and there's iconography in, in the East of Jesus leading out Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. out of sheol uh and in um uh i'll just look it up here real quick because it's really interesting in michael bird's uh book on uh who and he's an anglican i think but uh yes he, he has a book on the uh the apostles creed as well and uh he he has a couple quotes here that i think um That i think are relevant one he says the chief idea is that when jesus rose and ascended to heaven he took with him departed saints bringing them out of the bondage of death and ever since then believers who die uh, directly go to heaven to be with christ and join the church triumphant and he gives a number of passages Mm um uh and then he well and then he kind of makes mention as well You know there's resistance because well okay to the thief on the cross right jesus says today you will be with me in paradise so how can jesus be in paradise and also yeah um you know in in sheol and yet jesus tells mary that you know not to touch him because he has not yet ascended to the father right so if jesus had been in paradise or heaven would that not like and, and so there's there's all sorts of again this this argumentation that goes on back and forth about this anyways uh I just want to quickly point out. Bird quotes a guy named uh, Romanus, uh, the Melodist, who who wrote this kind of musical number. Uh, between the, <laughs> it's a dialogue between the devil and Hades uh, about the cross. And so he says the devil tells Hades that there is nothing to worry about, while Hades panics that he is about to have his stomach ripped open and all the people inside of him left let out. In the hymn, we we hear. Hades saw the Lord and said to those in hell, "O oh, my priests and O oh, my powers, who has driven a spike into my heart? A wooden lance has just mm-hmm. pierced me. I am being torn in two. I feel it terribly. My breath is a whirl, uh, a whirlwind. My insides burn, my belly churns in pain. I am forced to vomit forth Adam and Adam's people who were deposited with me because of a tree, but a tree is now leading them on the return to paradise. And
0: mm-hmm. I just
1: love that last line, right? Uh, You know, Adam's people who were deposited with me because of a tree, but a tree is now leading them on the return to paradise. I just think that's such a, such a fitting imagery um, to the victory of Jesus. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really what I interpret. I mean, uh, my final interpretation, which I'm, I'm still, it's not like i when I say final, I don't mean, I'm not going to deepen my understanding. But I really think when we say he descended into hell, descended into the dead, that it's really about taking captive the whole cosmos, taking captive every everything and having victory over, over the, the power of death, the power of hell. Um, so... I guess I'm okay with saying that he ascended into hell to have his way there. But um, I also recognize that Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. So when we did that episode back in 2020, one of the things I read was from one of the church fathers is that uh, Jesus was present in hell and in paradise. Hmm. Can't
1: really know, right? I mean,
0: I'm not sure if I'm not really satisfied with that, but there's yeah. one way of thinking about it. Right. It's a par- ah, like you say, it's a paradox. It's mm-hmm. uh, he had he had victory, and there's a lot about time, I think, here where time is almost sitting still. Time is irre- uh, irre- irrelevant in what's going on in this event where mm-hmm. all of time is being brought together and time is standing still. I don't know. <laughs> it's just so hard to understand when you talk about death being defeated and and Jesus having victory because we don't see that and yet and so that's why I say there's something about the transcendent of time.
1: Right. Can I make one one comment here? No. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> well, in in that account where he tells the uh, the. Uh thief on the cross that today you'll be with me in paradise part of that argument does hinge on where the comma is in that in that verse um and of course the greek has no commas or anything like that um you can correct me if i'm wrong on that but i don't think it don't think it did during the the time that this was well
0: they i think they've been added in my oh yes bible they have commas they've been added
1: (laughs) so in in luke 23 43 it says and jesus said to him Truly, I tell you, and in most translations, it says, truly, I tell you, comma, today, you will be with me in paradise. But if you move that comma, right, to after today, it says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Right? And that changes it from, I, it, It's an, again, it's an option. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what I believe in, but that has been put forward as an explanation. Well, that, um,
0: That's kind of helpful. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean... I mean, it it would solve it, right? You know, uh, truly, I tell you today. I
0: guess maybe it's some pushback is that Jesus never says "truly, truly" today, or "truly, truly," I say to you today. And he never says that other places. So right. it might be kind of odd that he does it there, but. At the same time, whew, that would help. <laughs> yeah, I know. Again, if it's if it's truly, truly, I say to you, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Right.
1: Uh, and then there's the the time that factor, right? That makes time... more
0: sense. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Does time does time apply? You know, it, it, certainly mm-hmm. not in the same way. Uh, once a person is deceased, it's not like your soul is just sitting there waiting. You know, day after day, you're experiencing time like everybody else, right? So, who knows, right? Who knows? Hmm. Could Jesus have descended to the to Hades with the thief, preached, and then led them back up mm-hmm. the same day? Absolutely, hmm. right? Uh, hmm. th- I, we can't know, right? This is just something yeah. that I think Scripture does allude to, and again, those those five yeah. or six passages, yeah. You know, he, just, you know, he descended. To the lower parts to the lower regions like yeah some of those passages say
0: exactly yeah especially that one in peter that's a hard one yeah to uh, say to, peter 3. to try and make sense of if if jesus didn't descend somewhere <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: well if it wasn't 12 o'clock i wouldn't want to move us along but um i'm going to move us to jesus ascended hmm. and Maybe next week we'll come back to we'll we'll spend maybe 10 minutes next week talking about the last line and then we'll move on to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in there, too. (laughs) So let's end this episode with he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, of course, the first thing that he wants to talk about is that it's a bodily Mm -hmm. ascension. It's not a, and and the resurrection is a bodily resurrection. We got to mention that too. It's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling in the hearts of the disciples that Mm. Sunday morning, they saw a flower and in the midst of the snow and they felt good about themselves. It was a (laughs) physical resurrection.
1: (laughs) Right. Yes.
0: And he is, and he ascended. And uh, if we had more time, I would, I would talk about why that is also one that bamboozles me a bit why did jesus ascend why didn't he just stay in us and inaugurate the kingdom but he doesn't give us the answer mm. <laughs> i'm kind of right. on the disciple side there when he ascends is yes. this the time lord um no but yes in a way
1: <laughs> i mean he did with them for 40 days um
0: hmm.
1: after his uh after his resurrection mm-hmm. but I, this ascension is you know again there's this I mean, fulfillment of the Old Testament, again, Daniel 7, I know you've done, you know, a fair share of work on Daniel 7. Um, so it talks about the son of man mm-hmm. ascending mm-hmm. Uh, on the clouds. Uh, yeah, the right yeah. Hand.
0: receives his his throne, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, all dominion and power and glory. Um. And then Psalm 110, right, uh, talks about yeah. the Lord says to my Lord, right, the most quoted uh, verse or, or a portion of the Hebrew yeah. scriptures in the, in the New Testament. Um, and, and then you see Luke recording that, right? He, in, in acts one nine, this is where he talks about Jesus, right? He he went up to heaven in, or on the clouds, right? Again, this, this language that points not only to, um, to, to the Psalm, but certainly very strongly to Daniel seven, right? As this fulfillment. And Paul says again, in first Corinthians 15, he talks about how Jesus is going to remain uh seated at the right hand of the father until mm-hmm. all his enemies again are are made his footstool um and so this is yeah i mean jesus is ruling that's the point jesus is ruling right now in heaven right it, he's not sitting there just twiddling his thumbs and being like well you know I, I just can't wait to get back to earth so i can you know establish this rule and you know that's no he's ruling right now he's ruling in the midst of his enemies right that's yeah uh, that's and been you the see message that- since day one.
0: You see that later on in Acts with Stephen yes. when Stephen yep. looks up and I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God that's yes. definitely uh definitely connected with Acts 1 to mm-hmm. show that Jesus is reigning but but in a different way than the disciples were expecting right and, the kingdom and... had been inaugurated but it wasn't the earthly kingdom of Israel
1: no no, and uh, again, it's this already but not there, or but not yet. I mean, uh, kind of aspect of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. to to be at the right hand of the king, or you know, the right hand of the father. Right? I mean, there's this this language that we don't really understand anymore. Because I mean, it doesn't matter if you're at the right hand of the prime minister, or whatever. Right? That gives very little significance to us. But I mean, there's a reason why. You know, even in Jesus's day, when when they expected Jesus to establish a a earthly political kind of kingdom right that they were fighting over who's going to sit at the right hand of jesus right who's going to be ruling there Um, Hmm. so there's this again this you know again we don't have time to really delve into that too deeply but there's it's very important it's very important
0: language right what i want to touch on oh sorry nope what i want to touch on is is quite a wonderful part going back to this union with Christ idea in the last section where he says through our union with Christ we also share in his ascension the lives of believers are now forever located in Christ as Paul so often says when Jesus ascends to the Father he takes our humanity with him to quote Irenaeus again because Jesus has ascended we also ascend through the Spirit of the Son and through the Son to the Father in Jesus our nature has taken up residence in the presence of God but I always think about that verse in Ephesians 2 where it says, we are seated in heavenly places with him, with Christ. Mm. And that is not a future thing, a future reality that Paul is talking about. It's something that's happened now. So mm. we've already ascended, but not bodily yet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. <laughs> It's because heavenly places has come to us that we are seated in heavenly places, in a way, because of Jesus. Jesus is the one that has brought the heavenly places. He has brought, you know, like what he just says, he's brought our human nature. He is mediating for us. So it's kind of this weird thing. And I always think about this in relationship to the Eucharist, especially in churches where you uh where the priest is standing at the altar with the back with their back facing the people and you have to walk up a bit to get up to Mm -hmm. the altar i think that is the most wonderful picture of walking up the mountain to god and we receive that that heavenly food i think that's really where we see what it means to be ascended is when we gather around the table in that way but that's my high church leanings. <laughs> there's obviously it's, the, it is beautiful imagery. Yeah. And not, and I'm not saying, Oh, you have to do it that way in order to receive the heavenly food. I'm just saying it's a beautiful image. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of image. There's all sorts of ways that you can do the Eucharist. that Get different aspects of what's going on in communion. It's, so anyways we should wrap it up there unless you had anything else to say
1: nope i'm i'm tapped out
0: yeah me too (laughs) we'll talk about judgment next week (laughs) so thank you everybody for tuning in once again i hope that you enjoyed this especially that shroud of Turin stuff um please uh rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts uh again let us know what you're thinking Uh, shoot us an email uh let us know on our facebook page whatever we want to know what you're thinking about the apostles creed uh what you think maybe you learned something new maybe you just have totally become stupider because of what we've said that's totally an option Or that's totally something that could happen (laughs) so (laughs) we just pray that that's not what happened yeah no kidding i shouldn't say that about you jeremy uh Say that about myself. So until next week.